stay tuned for Corporations and Democracy coming up at just a few moments. Uh, the subject today will be mobile home residents and predatory private capital. And we are going to be actually celebrating with the Woods Mobile Home Park in Little River because they are well along on their way to buying their park, which means democracy for the residents that live there. So we're going to find out how they did it, and we'll also have someone from the California Center for Co-op Development who um, knows a lot about all the ins and outs of that complicated subject. That's coming right up at Corporations and Democracy. Stay tuned. First you told us only through you could we know God And if we dared to question, he wouldn't spare the rod For you we worked the soil, for you we dug the moors For you we shed our blood and fought so many pointless wars Now you try to tell us there's nothing we can do You say the world around us belongs fairly to the few But about six billion people no doubt will agree This world is our home not your property, it's the commons, our right of birth. And you who would enclose the land all around the earth, our future is your downfall when we cut this ball and chain. You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain. With our sweat we built the railroads, built cities on these shores, but because you own the money, you see that it's all yours We laid the phone lines and the pipelines And then right before our eyes You see these things are taxes paid for You now will privatize Privatize the hospitals Privatize the schools Privatize the prisons For all those who break your rules And preparing for the day When all the wells run dry You see you own the very rain That falls down from the sky But it's the commons Our right of birth And you who'd own the water all around the earth Our future is your downfall When cut this ball and shame You who'd sacrifice the public good For your private gain You claim to own the harvest With your terminator seeds You claim to own the genomes Of every animal that breeds You claim to own our culture And the music that we play And with each song that we download To your coffers we must pay You'd even own my name And you'd say it's for the best Maybe you'll let us on your radio And our songs can pass your test You own country, you own western You say you've given us a choice You may own the airwaves But you'll never own my voice It's the commons, our right of birth And you who'd own the music All around the earth Our future is your downfall When you cut this ball and chain You who'd sacrifice the public good For your private gain It's the commons, our right of birth you who would own everything all around the earth Our future is your downfall Only cut this ball and shame You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain The opinions expressed on corporations and democracy are those of our guests and the hosts and not necessarily of the management of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. Good afternoon and welcome to Corporations and Democracy for October 14th, 2021. This is the program that examines how corporations dominate our democracy and what citizens are doing to replace corporate dominance with true democracy. 
I'm Steve Scalmanini with co-host Annie Esposito. Today's topic is the vulnerability of mobile home park residents in the county to predatory capital. Our interest in the subject was peaked a few years ago in 2017 and 2018 when two mobile home parks in and near one in and one near Willits were purchased by a new owner who pressured residents into signing long-term leases with uh, significant rent increases. And in response to that, some of the residents organized to try to create a rent stabilization program for that city. That effort was rejected by the Willett City Council in uh, the middle of June, I think it was June 2018, and the rest is predictable history. Uh, rents were raised over 20% immediately, and they were told to expect the same raises annually. So today we're going to discuss what residents can do about their vulnerability of such a crisis. We'll be talking with Jim Katchik, who is the current president of the board of the Woods Cooperative Association, newly created in uh, March of this year to enable the residents of the Woods Senior Mobile Home Park, that's across from Little River Airport, to purchase their park. Jim, Ch- Jim Katchik has been a resident of the Woods Senior Mobile Home Park for 12 years. He's a retired program director in, uh, from Alameda County, that's in the East Bay, and a licensed California architect with degrees from the University of Notre Dame and from California State University, East Bay. He brings with him 48 years of experience in public policy development, innovative capital project delivery methods, organizational development, and commercial project development. And now, as president of the board of the Woods Cooperative Association, he'll give us an update on how that association is doing in their effort to purchase that mobile home park. So, Jim Katchik. Welcome to Corporations and Democracy. Steve, good afternoon. Thank you very much. Uh, I had a little phone difficulty there. Um, would you like me to go over the sort of history and the story of how we got to where we are? Well, we will in a minute. I'd like to do an introduction of our second guest first. And, uh, okay. and there, I think you were accidentally dropped from here with a little telephone uh, uh, confusion. So, But I think uh, both of our guests are, are online right now. So let me do a second introduction. And our second guest uh, will be Kim Kuntz, who is the executive director of the California Center for Cooperative Development. That's in Davis, California. The center is a charitable nonprofit dedicated to promoting cooperatives as a vibrant business model in order to address the economic and social needs of California's communities through education, development, and technical assistance. As such, they helped create the um, they help create manufactured home park cooperatives, cooperatives, which are established to provide members with uh, price control and a voice in the operation policies and, and maintenance of the parks in which they reside. The manufactured homes are owned privately in that case, while the land underneath the home and all other facilities are owned by the cooperative. A member own, members co-own the park and the right to occupy space for their home. Kim has been working with cooperatives for more than 20 years after receiving her degree from the University of California at Davis, my alma mater, by the way. She was executive director of YOLO Mutual Housing Association for four years and for more than 14 years worked for the Center for Cooperatives at at UC Davis. Kim's experience includes assisting groups in the startup of cooperatives, teaching cooperative board governance seminars, 
and providing technical assistance to cooperatives. She has authored and co-authored more than 10 publications about cooperatives and written numerous articles, including cooperative startup manuals and a book on childcare cooperatives and published articles also on housing cooperatives. So we'll be hearing from her about the help they provided to the Woods Cooperative Association and what they can provide to anyone wanting to purchase as a cooperative the multi-unit housing property where they live. So Kim Kuntz, welcome to Corporations and Democracy. Thank you. So I want to set the stage with some some comments about the uh, the news a few years ago that got our attention up in the Woolitz area. The uh, you know the problem there turns out to be a trend which I was not aware of at the time, uh, but a trend in real estate investing where uh, uh, investors are you know more than happy to uh, swoop in and quickly purchase uh, mobile home parks that go on the market. There's a whole um, you call a broker type industry out there uh, brokering these these places uh, to the detriment of the uh, of the renters usually and uh, in the case of these these mobile home parks in Woolitz that's the one was called wagon wheel at the time its name has changed now and the other is the Valley Oaks mobile home park up there that's outside of Woolitz uh, east uh, a mile or two out in the valley area um, they did not have any option to to purchase their um, uh, units uh, the residents did not have that option, and and rents went immediately from about I think 400 a month to 525. That was like a 30 percent raise right away, and then and then the raises having uh, been added annually since then. Some of those residents could not afford such and actually lost their homes. So, as mobile as these things are uh, called in name, they're not so mobile after all, and it's uh, it's very costly to move these things, multi thousands of dollars. You know, like five to ten thousand to move a mobile home, if they're even movable at all after many years of sitting, which is not always the case. So, uh, this was you know difficult times for the uh, residents up there in the Woolitz area at that time. Um, those who hadn't signed uh, leases did try to put together a uh, a rent control program, uh, rent stabilization program. It's called formally. Uh, which exists in a few other, well, in one other place in the, uh, the city of Ukiah in, the, uh, in Mendocino County. And that was declined for reasons we'll get to, um, which were a surprise to me. But anyway, it was declined in mid-June of, um, or in June of that uh, year 2018. Uh, turns out the reason why was uh, was expected, or the expected costs of running a program, cost to the city. So I did a little investigation about that. Uh, I talked to the city of Ukiah. I asked if they tracked the cost of administering their program in the city of Ukiah. The answer was yes, and it's the little document I was able to uh, be sent by the city. And the cost per unit, per space, mobile home space in the city, of administering the program is a dollar or two a year. It is that trivial, but Willis didn't know that in 2018 when the uh, city council there declined to to do a program. So, um, <clears throat> let's see, um, some people are, or some investors are buying mobile home parks to convert them to housing, other housing, or other even commercial space even. I think, Annie, you did some work, research on that and find out some of these parks are being turned into Walmarts in some parts of the country. So, the... Um, 
you know, that, that summed up the problem. Well, let me also do a shout out to uh, Kate Maxwell with uh, Mendocino Voice because they followed this uh, fiasco with the uh, trailer parks, uh, mobile home parks in Willits uh, in 2018 when they went down. Um, the investor that took them over was she went to look on who are these people it's called Boa Vida uh, and it's owned, uh, if you go back and back and back by flyer gas stations or something. But she said it was a tangle, the word she uses is a tangle of interlocking, interrelated legal entities. It was pretty much of a nightmare for people that are trying to have accountability with the landlord that that owns the dirt that they're trying to live on mm -hmm. top of. Yeah, there's a Boa Vida communities and a Boa Vida this and a Boa Vida that. And, and the relationship between them became complex. I'm not sure anybody worked out those details. So, um, I mentioned the uh, one other alternative for, um, uh, as I mentioned, is the rent stabilization that exists in the city of Ukiah. It was created in 2011, uh, most likely, as, as best I could find from anyone um, from back in that era of the city council, by Phil Baldwin, who was an uh, active person on the council for, I think it was 12 years, and has uh, passed away since then. But he was known for being a very community-related person and uh, helped drive that at the time with the, uh, with the city council in Ukiah. It was passed four to one and has been in place ever since. But even better than rent control for mobile parks is if the residents own their own park, right? We're actually celebrating today because um, Jim Ketchuk, who's with us today, is uh, on the, the president of the board of directors of the residents at the Woods. And that was uh, a, a pretty heroic process to go through to get it together to organize the residents and to, to arrange with this nonprofit uh, that helps with loans and, and then maybe a little bit of luck, too, that the offer is being accepted, uh, but not with out more setbacks like fire insurance that's really uh, so we want to uh, hear from from Jim with uh, the woods uh, park that, that, that they are well on their way to becoming the resident owned hooray mm -hmm. and uh, from Kim Koontz with the agency that helps people do that because Owning your own park is really important. It's important that the residents own it because then you can make decisions about uh, how much to spend and, and what to do with landscaping and utilities and all of those things. And before, the, uh, the invisible, faraway investment company just crams that down people's throats, driving a lot of people out. So that's it's democracy to have the residents own their own park. Jim, um, I know everybody's wanting to hear from you. Uh, how did you do it? <laughs> yes. This is uh, unique. So. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for the introduction uh, and, and the kind words and all the good vibes to the woods. Uh, this has been a remarkable journey. Um, and uh, I always like to start uh, a comment about it with um, a shout-out and a great big thank you to all the members of my community here, um, those who are on the board and volunteered, it's all volunteer labor, of course. You know, none of us are getting paid. Um, so uh, a big shout-out to the members of the community who are helping with committee work and supporting the board and then who basically voted in their own interest to spend more to live in the woods as a result of their communal desire to, you know, retain control of, of where they live. Um, 
I have about two pages of notes here, and what I'm going to try to do is just sort of present the, if you will, table of contents, which, uh, as I thought about my possible remarks today, and by the way, thank you folks for having us on as well. This is, this is all part of our wonderful, uh, supportive Northern California community here. Um, uh, very quickly, there are about nine or ten threads or themes that weave through the story of how we got to where we are today. Uh, and for those who are listening who don't know anything about the story, uh, we started in March, on the 11th of March, a day that's burned into my memory when it was announced via a Zoom conference from the uh, CEO of Sequoia Living that the woods was being put on the market. Um, it was one of those conferences, those, those you know periodic conferences. We were still, as you may all remember, in COVID lockdown. Um, and so what we expected was, you know, more about, you know, how the whole organization is surviving and all the good things we're doing up here to stay disease-free and what have you. And instead, what we basically hear is, you know, they love us, but they're going to put us on the market. So let, um, me, let me slip in. This is Sequoia Living, who had owned yeah. the, uh, the woods for decades, I think, was it? Well, yes, yes. And uh, very briefly, the history of each of these makes its own story. Sequoia mm-hmm. Living currently owns a number of assisted living facilities in and around the San Francisco Bay Area. The Woods is an outlier for them. We're the only independent living facility that they own and operate. They've owned the Woods since 1992 uh, when they acquired it uh, in their previous life as Northern California Presbyterian Homes, who in turn purchased the Woods from a local architect named Paul Tay. Uh, Paul Tay developed the Woods in the early 1970s, uh, with a goal of providing affordable housing for uh, Mendocino Coast residents. Uh, I don't know whether it was seniors at the time, but by the time uh, he uh, sold it to um, Northern California Presbyterian Homes, uh, it had become a plus 55 seniors uh, independent living community. Mm-hmm. So um, it, all, it started with relatively unique uh, roots. Um, as a real estate asset, if you look around, uh, do a little research into manufactured home and mobile home parks, what you see right away is that the, the woods is unique in a variety of ways that make it a wonderful place to live and, and support a beautiful community, but which also um, create, created, we realized kind of in shocked hindsight, hindsight um, uh, a, a unique market position that made us a very desirable asset. Uh, when COVID disrupted the um, the uh, housing market and basically focused all of the investment, the real estate investment community's attention on manufactured home parks and mobile home parks. Uh, for clarity, again, for people who might not be um, totally up on the distinction, this is not a mobile home park. It's a manufactured home. It's a community built with manufactured homes. The, 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 the homes are constructed in modules that are trucked along the roadway like trailers. They're positioned on foundations and permanently attached. So there is no opportunity to relocate your home, quote-unquote, which mm-hmm. we all own individually, if for some reason or another the relationship between us and the owner of the park changes, as it suddenly did in March. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, again, very quickly summarizing a lot of themes, Um, we uh, basically all looked at one another and said, well, now what do we do? Um, And there was an informal organization called the Woodlanders, uh, which I happen to be chair of. Basically, we, you know, we did parties and organized the recycling and stuff like that. 
<clears throat> but we had a structure in place. We had a, a community organization in place. And within three days, I believe it was, uh, Kim can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, after the announcement by Sequoia Living, we were contacted by somebody uh, from the, um, the uh, National Rock Organization, Rock USA, um, who connected us with this wonderful team we've been working with. Um, they, uh, they basically, again, uh, we've been working on this full stop since six months, for six months now, almost to the day. Um, <laughs> I thought I had retired when we, when we moved here. And, uh, Think again. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, um, you know, um, collectively a bunch of us have been working almost full time, meetings, 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 all kinds of good stuff. The, the best part about the overall process is really twofold. Uh, one is that um, the Rock CCCD team brought financing with them. Oh, I'm sorry, let me back up for a second. There was one key element of this that might make this a different experience for us than it was for others. When Sequoia Living announced that they were going to put us on the market and sell us as a park, um, basically we had... Um, like three months to get an offer together. And in the world of corporate uh, or commercial development estate, that's a very short time in which to pull together a lot of things, including financing. Uh, Steve, you and I spoke about financing the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, can't, I can't disclose how much we're paying or any of the financial terms under a non-disclosure agreement, but I can tell you that for those of us who've retired and are living on savings and what have you, it's a busload of money. Um, it would have been under almost any circumstances, and because the woods is so unique and so desirable, the investment community went crazy. We, we don't know, we may never know how many competing offers there were. Um, Sequoia Living cut us a little slack on a, a few missteps here and there, but basically we had to compete at the same level as these you know, investment firms that do this for a living. So wow. it was dicey at points. It was very dicey at points. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, the long and short of it um, is that we, we've worked our way through. We have a wonderful community with people who have all kinds of skills from their, their, you know, their former lives when they were working full-time. Um, the uh, the uh, Rock USA CCCD team has been just absolutely terrific. They've been there with us <laughs> through a summer of two meetings a month, two meetings a week to start with, and finally tapered off a little bit to one meeting every other, every other week. Uh, community meeting Zoom. This is an interesting story. Um, uh, the, the community has grown in its ability to use um, Zoom and electronic media mm-hmm. for, for meetings. Uh, we've all gained new skills and we've all gained new knowledge of our of our, our friends and, and and relatives, you know, and, and and neighbors living next door. And let me let me recap just two things. So you you had a three month window to do something, get organized, and be able to make an offer on the park. That started in March. And uh, the other thing, you were contacted by this organization, ROC USA Rock. That stands for, uh, to, um, to listeners, that stands for Resident-Owned Communities USA. So take it from there. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, and, and um, you know, there's a lot more, and I can just abridge this in, in any way that works with your format. So uh, feel free to interrupt me. Uh, the three-month window was um, the metaphor I like to use. Uh, well, I like a lot of metaphors. I'm, a, I'm an amateur songwriter. Um, and um, the, the metaphor I use for this is that we're out on the freeway uh, on a, in a bicycle, uh, trying to put the wheels on the bicycle as we're dodging tractor trailers that are bearing down on us at about 100 miles an hour. 
um, this whole process, basically, uh, we had to, in order to compete in the commercial real estate process, uh, which was very quick, we had to have an offer on the table by the first or second week of May, so March, April, May, three months. Um, and um, Sequoia Living basically said, you know, we'll sell to you, but you've got to get a competitive offer in. So we had to incorporate in order to create an entity to uh, to uh, essentially represent the organization uh, in, as, a, as, you know, a, a, a viable commercial entity. And then, of course, we had to have money. That's always a problem mm-hmm. or an issue or a concern. Um, and the, the the best part about our working relationship with with Rock USA is that they have a financing arm that supports communities like ours and situations like ours. And so one of the one of the first and most worrisome questions was answered very quickly, which is that that uh, combination of a technical assistance team, uh, people who know about cooperatives and what goes into creating cooperatives so that residents can own their community as a cooperative. There's a difference, by the way, um, in there. Um, and um, and along with the financing and the technical assistance comes basically 10 years of, of uh, support to help uh, this fledgling organization transform itself from a bunch of people who live together to an actual um, uh, community leadership team. So... Um, Again, lots more detail here that we can stay away from for the moment unless there's a specific question. Rock USA contacted me. Uh, one of their representatives um, was on the uh, Internet to me within three or four days after Sequoia made the announcement. Um, and I learned, among other things, that, that as part of what they do, uh, uh, Rock USA and CCCD were already aware of the woods as a potential uh, marketable asset. Um, uh, you know, to, to be fair to Sequoia Living, there has long been uh, with them uh, a, um, they are a nonprofit organization, and there has long been with them in their um, inherited operation of the park um, a, a strong investment in infrastructure and making sure that the water ran and the lights turned on and all those good mm-hmm. things that are so essential for living. Um, what changed everything was the pandemic. Uh, the pandemic shut down commercial office space and suddenly made situations like ours hanging fruit, as you said in your introduction, Steve, for uh, commercial investors. Uh, we know the details, but all we know is that somewhere in the inner workings of Sequoia, perhaps they had another asset that was in trouble, uh, but they needed they needed um, they needed some cash and the selling the woods. Was a, was a a direct way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I you know again, I, I hesitate to get into the evaluations of ethical things. This is the system and the way it works. You know, so basically, we had two choices. We either worked with this system uh, and played the game in an effort to gain control of our own destiny, or we could sit and wait for what we were sure was going to happen, which is the kind of scenario you've spoken about earlier, <sighs> where investors would come in, and even if they were nice investors. The rents were going to go up and up and up mm-hmm. um, with no control on our part. And we were sure that one of the things we value most, which is our neighbors and our our friends here, many of whom are at the end of their, their lives in a sense. You know, they've retired. Mm-hmm. They, they maybe don't have a place to go. Uh, we'd have all those people be displaced. And this would not be, this would not be uh, two miles off the Mendocino coast. This would not be a community like it is now if we don't own it. It would be vacation homes and people flying into the airport across the street. Yeah. 
um, it, it would be nothing like what it is right now. So, well, congratulations. We, uh, we really had no choice. Congratulations mm-hmm. on all that hard work. I, I think you're almost there. We want to bring Kim Kuntz into this discussion, too. Kim's with the California Center for Cooperative Development, and you're a great enabler of uh, cooperative uh, programs. Uh, Kim, how, how are you helping people? Well, uh, our nonprofit um assists cooperatives of all, all different kinds, including uh, housing cooperatives, farmer cooperatives, child care, the gamut of different kinds of cooperative enterprise to really be able to do what they couldn't do alone. So we help with startups, we help with technical assistance so that people can effectively govern their co-ops and help with issues that come up along the way. Yeah, so that's, uh, I think it would be more important now than ever, especially in the case we're talking about today, where it's, uh, in some countries, I guess, uh, uh, shelter is a right, but certainly not here. And one of the things about these collective living structures is that I'm sure it prevents increased homelessness and um, helps people that are homeless become housed. Do you see this as an important part of that, uh, dealing with the housing crisis? It's very important. Um, I mean, it's not, I think that a cooperative is more than shelter. It's really about owning your community with others and democratically governing that community so that you have control, um, the security that comes with that ownership, but you also can control other aspects if you want to improve certain parts of the community. You can balance the, the costs and the benefits among yourselves. Um, that, that control and community is another really important part, I think. And I'd like to clarify the segue. So uh, very early in the process that, be, that began in March, just days in the process, is when uh, Jim was contacted by Rock USA. And then sometime after that, I believe you got involved. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, we are um, an affiliate of Rock USA, which is another nonprofit. Um, there are 11 such affiliates across the United States that went through a lot of training and uh, vetting to become um, a certified technical assistance provider for Rock USA. And for our nonprofit, we're relatively new to this aspect, but we see the, the benefits of having the systems and the financing that's available through that affiliation with Rock USA. It really, it's really wonderful. We had already been in contact, you know, um, a, an initial member of, um, of, of CTAP that we called a Certified Technical Assistance Provider for Rock USA, and we actually had spoken along with Rock USA with Sequoia Living when they were considering the sale. And that's typically the way that um, this kind of process works, is that initially most of the communication is with the seller, because you can't buy a community that isn't for sale, right? Mm-hmm. You have to have a willing seller. Mm-hmm. So um, once um, there is a seller that is uh Interested, we try to we try to uh, get them interested in selling to their residents through a variety of, of convincing, okay. and then uh, then we turn to residents and ask them, "Are you interested in buying?" And if a predominant majority of those people, um, usually uh, seventy to eighty percent of the people, need to say, "Yeah, this is what we want to do," then we will start the process of. Um, helping them to incorporate, helping them through all the different stages that uh, of, of going through a purchase. 
Wow, that's a, that's an amazing thing to uh, agency to have to help people with something as important as this. Um, you do do some other thing, maybe just quickly some of the other um, collective programs that you help people with, and then let's get back to the the mobile home parks or uh, modular housing parks, whatever. Yeah, well, we do a lot of training for um, limited equity housing clubs in particular, um, and we you know we help to start worker co-ops to create jobs, and um, and we help farmer co-ops to strengthen their um, their ability to compete in the marketplace. That's great. So we are talking to Jim from the Woods, who got a monumental effort for the residents of the Woods to uh, be able to own their own residence. Most uh, modular home parks or mobile home parks, you own your thing you actually live in, but you don't own the dirt into it underneath it, and that can get you into a whole world of trouble if you don't. And so there seems to be two ways to go that we've seen manifest themselves here. One is that the residents organize and get help from an, uh, some kind of a nonprofit to help them get the money together for the loans to make make sure they have all the legal um, equipment they need to do it. The other thing would be to the other way to go would be to have mobile home park rent control, as Ukiah did. And Ukiah's had that going smoothly for, what's it been now? Uh, well, about 10 years, a little over 10 years, and going smoothly. Um, I wanted to mention um, that I also looked into the, the uh, sort of what's government doing. And I'm, I, I looked, researched that from the point of view that <clears throat> some of you know, and, and I'm familiar with this from being involved in local government. I was on the Ukiah City Council for seven years. And um, now I'm familiar with the uh, money being spent by the state for affordable housing and to create affordable housing. But then it occurred to me, well, what's the state doing to preserve existing affordable housing in the form of mobile homes? And I, didn't, I was not able to reach a clear answer. I've had a phone uh, call in over a week to the local senator, and uh, I wasn't uh, uh, wasn't called back by anyone there. So it's not clear to me what that uh, that organization is doing. Although I have heard a little bit, and I think Kim, you can tell us a little bit about the, uh, there is a state program that's sporadic that uh, that was available early this year, but then went away quickly. And can you tell us some about that? Sure, that's the Mobile Home Park Rehabilitation and Resident Ownership Program, mm -hmm. um, better uh, referred to as MPROP, mm -hmm. um, for obvious reasons. And it's a state of California program that allows, that really provides low-interest um, seconds. Um, uh, you know, they'll subordinate that loan with and combine it with other loans for resident for resident owned parks. It's a wonderful opportunity, um, and it's it's not funded by taxpayers. It's actually funded by the owners of manufactured homes when they pay their fees. A portion of that goes into this fund, so it's a great way to create this opportunity. Um, this past, two years ago, MPROP. Um, had a what, what we call a NOFA, um, asking for people to become technical assistance providers and do some research on the program in ways to make it better. Um, and um, CCCD, as well as um, rural housing, um, were awarded this grant. A coalition of really nonprofits were awarded this um, this grant to provide technical assistance for people who want to apply for this money and also um, to. Uh, create some research to figure out how to make the project better, the program better. Unfortunately, um, 
we haven't been able to do as much technical assistance as we like because as the program was only open for a couple of year, a couple of months, and then it was closed and it remains closed right now. We, we're hoping that they will re- reopen it. Um, so I don't have any control over that, but it is a really, really good resource when it's available or can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my understanding is they just that they're not able to move at the speed that the private organizations can and the ones that are affiliated with you and with rock usa and and that's important if i may extend jim's metaphor from earlier in the program some of those uh, uh you know 18 wheeler tractor trailers speeding by you as you're trying to put your program together are carrying other offers to the seller and you have to compete with them. And so, uh, you know, it, it, the government program is not available to work that quickly. And so that requires the, uh, 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 you know, the, using the programs like Rock USA, uh, who in this case, I believe they were the people that got uh, CCD, CCCD involved. That's, again, the California Center for Cooperative Development, um, from whom we're hearing uh, from Kim today. Yeah, I have a, a question about that too. You you touched on Kim the fact that you you can talk to the seller and uh, use various forms of persuasion, um, you know, to get them to accept the offer of the residents. But of course, they don't have to. Are you able to say what some of those arguments you present to sellers are and how successful yeah. you usually are? If you really want to look at who who is the most willing buyer. For a seller, it's right under their nose. It's their residents in their community, and um, and those residents can make a competitive offer, and that that's what that's the main thing we say is why go all go through a lot of trouble to advertise and so forth when your best purchaser, your most motivated purchaser, is living in your park. Okay, yeah, okay, so that sounds pretty good. I, I, I'd go for that. Mm-hmm. In, in <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, Jim, did you also do some, uh, exercise some of your powers of persuasion with uh, Sierra to do this? To, to become well, the winning I, uh, uh, offer? I, I, I did my best. Let's put it that way. Um, I have uh, the advantage of, of some decent writing skills. So every so often, when it seemed like a little grease was helpful, um, at the appropriate times, I'd write a letter and remind them that you know that there was more to life than just commercial uh, investment transactions, and try to just you know frame the conversation in the exact value system that Kim was just describing. You know, um, it's worth mentioning again as a shout out to my to my, my fellow residents here that um, when we had the crucial vote, Kim referenced this briefly, uh, in in July, in order to proceed with the rest of the process and secure ROCKS financing and and all those good pieces, uh, we needed a community vote. Uh, We have 109 households, so, you know, if you're talking about 75%, that means like 75 or 80 people households, many of whom are, you know, living on retirement funds and fixed, very fixed incomes and what have you. Um, to agree to essentially do what it took, and in this case it turned out to be a pretty significant rent hike, um, to own the park. And we had 98 out of nine, 96 out of 98 uh, eligible residents vote yes on that vote. Excellent. Right, so, yeah. all, Excellent. Congratulations. So, I mean, uh, I was astounded. Everybody I speak to is astounded. I mean, all along the way, the residents have been on board with the concept that we either do this or we don't. There's no in-between, there's no halfway, there's no, you know, calling lawyers and looking for other solutions. It's either you do or you don't. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, the famous Woody Allen quote, uh, 95% of success is showing up. So the residents showed up, you know, and, and um, we've had other votes where we've needed large majorities, and, and overwhelmingly they have supported the process. So mm-hmm. between uh, all the good folks at, at you know, Kim's uh, um, team, and whatever it is that the board and the committees are doing, we seem to be doing the right thing because we've still got the residents' confidence. And that's, that's the crucial piece. Okay, and let me clarify, um, process-wise, you are very close to, but not quite, at the end yet, I believe. So can you tell us where, where you are in the process and what's the timing to finish the process? If we can verify that we can get, here's another market piece that enters into the discussion in bizarre ways. If we can verify that we have uh, insurance, we will close escrow on the 25th of October. At that point, I gather, I don't know the details, but I gather that but for signing a bunch of documents, it's then ours to operate, manage, and all those good things. More challenges down the road, you know, it's, so we're not done here, but we're getting very close. Mm-hmm. Wahoo! Super. Hey, yeah. Okay. Wahoo indeed. <laughs> yeah. Um, we do have time, by the way, to take a call or two. If uh, anyone would like to ask any questions of our guests, the number here is 895-2448 here in the studio, and we'll pick up, and you can get on the air for a moment. Um, one other question I had, speaking of metaphors and all, uh, there's there's one that comes from a, a, a movie called Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? So to, to people that are interested in this issue... Who do they call first? <laughs> oh, we do have a call. Speaking okay, of, let's we'll, hold we'll that give and... precedence to that. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. So I'm very curious. Well, first of all, congratulations. Yes. This is an amazing outcome. I'm so happy. Um, what will the role of the lodge at the woods become? Okay, good question. You want to take that, Jim? <laughs> the lodge has a history of its own, so please, Jim. Yeah. Yes, it does. Very briefly, the lodge was constructed around the time Sequoia Living took ownership of the park and was intended to be assisted living. The finances, uh, the the complicated costs and what have you, uh, regulatory environment, made assisted living unprofitable, and as I'm sure our caller knows, um, the lodge has been sitting there unused for a number of years. Our, in, our intention is to convert, it, it's an asset and it produces a revenue stream. So from the business side of things, our desire is to do something that supports the mission of the woods, the community, uh, and the values uh, all around that would probably have it end up being used as housing of some sort. Then the question is, what's the right format? Is it apartments? Is it studio? Is it something like a uh, a boarding house with it because it has a full commercial kitchen. We're still evaluating the options. We don't know exactly what, but we will do something with it. It, it will not sit there vacant, I assure hey. okay. I have a question uh, for Kim. One thing that bothers me a lot is looking around at the mobile home parks or modular home um, places that the zoning, they seem to all be plunged into commercial or industrial zoning. Why aren't these homes in residential areas do you know well i you know that's a question i uh have to admit i i don't know um for sure i i I think there is some kind of residence zoning but uh, i unfortunately don't know that i can't respond to that 
Well, it does seem to me then that we really need uh, for all of us to be, t to be talking to, uh, to our state and local governments about this. It seems like the government regulatory people are AWOL when it comes to uh, helping uh, people with in the middle of a housing crisis, right? There's a quick story I want to tell about, this is from another, another um, state here, but this is from Colorado, where a elderly woman who owned a park there on the outskirts of Aspen, of all places, big, expensive real estate area, as you can imagine, they uh, decided they needed to sell their park. She owned it with her son, who was around retirement age, and they faced a decision of what to do about keeping the neighbors together as uh, somehow remaining in residence or selling the property for somewhere in the 20 to 30 million dollar range in which case it would be converted to most likely luxury homes and they decided they'll go ahead and just take six and a half million and sell it to the county and that remained as a mobile home park so for what it's worth i want to tell that story they valued their community that much in their case and they want to keep all the neighbors together so for what it's worth there's another story that ended well there. And a last one I'll mention is we found one other park in, actually the only park so far since the Woods deal is not finished yet, the only other park, mobile home park, in the county that is owned by residences. And that is north of Ukiah, a couple of miles up on North State Street. And it was purchased by their residents 30 years ago, yeah. 1991. Nice, so, beautiful place. Too. I tried to, I tried to get the story. wasn't able to get the story of how they did it and how they had the wisdom to do it back in that era. But they have owned it since, and it's a wonderful looking park, by the way. You know, they have trees and shade. Nice looking versus some of the other, you know, uh, commercial ones we've seen. So we left off a minute ago on. Who are you going to call? That was it. If you're interested in what you can do to own your mobile home park cooperatively with your neighbors, in that case. Who are you going to call? And who would be... I'm not sure to ask who first, Jim or Kim, on this one. Yeah, right. Well, I can I can certainly share experience. And by the way, to Annie's question about why mobile home parks are where they are, I have a comment that we can get to if there's time. Uh, I would encourage uh, folks who have issues like this to get in touch with, uh, with Kim uh, at CCCD, or what is now becoming known as Cali Rock. Um, and uh, I'm sure she can connect them with the appropriate uh, resources and, and uh, advisors. Okay. Okay, and that's the California Center for Cooperative Development. They are online at cccd.coop. That's the first .coop I have come across. Uh-huh. Good one. And, yeah. Kim, you're located in Davis, California? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, our, our nonprofit is a state serves the serves the state. Okay, so you're statewide. But we are located in Davis, okay. yes. We travel a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, okay, so in addition to those two places to call for, for help, uh, I, I really think people should be agitating um, your your state senator and assembly person, too. It, it seems like the government could be doing stuff, as uh, Kim alluded to earlier, but just kind of fell down on the job. It took too long to process anything, and this is in the, right in the middle of a housing crisis, and so right as we speak, People are being pushed out of parks and made homeless. And the reverse is also true. You could be creating uh, resident-owned parks and decreasing homelessness, uh, working from both ends of that. Yeah, so the uh, again, process-wise, you are hoping to close later this month, I believe. Is that uh, still the timing, uh, Jim? That's correct. 
Okay. That's correct. And back to a couple of minutes ago, the uh, who are you going to call? It's uh, anyone interested in further uh, exploring the issue for your own uh, mobile home park or manufactured home park, the Cooperative Center for the California Center for Cooperative Development. That's at cccd.coop, C-O-O-P. You know, so it looks like COOP on, you know, when I actually type it in. Uh, they're in Davis, California, uh, phone number 530-297-1032, for those of you that can write real fast. Yeah, and we are just about out of time. We just have about 45 seconds, so I want to thank our guests so much. My goodness, the amount of work the two of you represent is just What's, what do I have my friends say? Awesome! It really is quite amazing. So thank you so much, uh, Kim Cook and Jim Ketchup. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah, thank yeah. you. You've been listening to Corporation Democracy. We are broadcast on 4th uh, Thursdays. However, we're going to be moving next month. We'll be starting an evening program. That'll be at 7 o'clock the evening on 3rd Thursdays. So that'll be, uh, again, 7 p.m., and it'll be, um, oh, don't have the date handy off the top of my head. But anyway, it'll be third Thursday, 7 p.m., starting next month. This podcast was produced by KZYX-FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, local community radio for Mendocino County, California. If you enjoyed the program and you'd like to hear more, in Northern California, you can tune in anytime to KZYX at 90.7 FM in Philo, KZYZ at 91.5 FM in Willits and Ukiah, and 88.1 FM in Fort Bragg. If you're listening to this podcast from further away, we also stream live 24 hours a day at kzyx.org, where you can hear our eclectic range of locally produced music, public affairs, and news, along with daily state and national news programs and breaking news. You can also find out how to become a member to keep KZYX on the air. Thank you for listening.